It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk and our 2021 Ohio State football signing day preview. I'm Nathan Baird, along with Stephen Means, who covers recruiting for us year round pretty much here at Cleveland.com, and Doug Lay Maurice. And today we're taking a comprehensive look at not merely the players in this signing class, and, and there's still some on the way, but what it means for the team Ohio State is building in 2022, and more importantly, the years beyond that. Signing day is Wednesday. This pod is going up Tuesday, so keep an eye on cleveland.com slash OSU. Get the text if you haven't already, 614-350-3315. We'll be sending out, more to the point, I think probably mostly Stephen will be sending out any updates that happen between now and then as this class keeps coming together. Uh, although it will extend beyond signing day. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But Doug, I wanted to start with you because this is your, what, like 48th signing day covering Ohio State football. You were there when Hop Cassidy's letter of intent arrived by Pony Express. I always make these age jokes with Doug as if he isn't like essentially the same age as me. But but signing day is typically a big PR day for Ohio State in a way. And a chance to kind of celebrate the future and the hall of talent that usually ranks among the best in the nation. Have you seen signing day take on extra importance after seasons like this one where OSU either has a disappointing season or an unfulfilling finish to the regular season? Hmm. That is an interesting question. Certainly signing day has changed a lot in since Urban Meyer got here, right? Which we all know that it was not, how do I say this? Under Jim Trestle, it was more like an accumulation of players, like sort of, oh, who's who's going to be here? Who'd they get? And with when Urban Meyer started going national, getting more top 100 guys, it was more like a celebration, like it was like an explosion of talent that is coming to Ohio State. And you started thinking in terms more of guys who could make instant impacts and guys who could be future All-Americans. Not that Jim Trestle didn't recruit a bunch of great players and develop a bunch of great players, but the weird thing, Nathan, is one is I have a terrible memory, but the other is the idea of what's it like after a disappointing season. It's like, well, I don't really like how many disappointing seasons right. have there been like this is. So I would say probably I will say this. I think we talked about how Ohio State could get some momentum back when we were talking about, oh, Notre Dame was doing this and Michigan was doing that. I do think that Jim Knowles hire 
was more of a momentum swing than anything that signing day can do because it's immediate and that'll be instant impact. And how many guys in this class will be instant impact? But a lot of times the answer to this is think of the other side. What if Ohio State was coming off this season with two regular season losses, including one to Michigan, and they were signing the 19th best class in the country? We would be having discussions about whether Ryan Day was losing it. We would be having like Larry Coker discussions mm-hmm. and that we're not having those because it's just a loss. They lost to Michigan with a bunch of young guys and they're signing a top five class. So that to me is the answer to it. That if they were, does it mean that this class is restarting the Ohio state engine? I don't know, but man, if you combined a quote disappointing season for the team with an actually disappointing recruiting class, you have some people in panic mode and we're not in panic mode. So that I think is, and, and that this class is not as good as, you know, some in recent years, but it's still pretty darn good is very important to that because, and, and I'll say this, like last year, Penn state had a weird year, but then it was coupled with like Penn state had a terrible recruiting cycle last year. And it was like, I don't know. Like it was a whole off season of like, is James Franklin, the guy, maybe they should part ways. Cause you doubled down on the hesitancy because the recruiting class doubled down on the lack of success on the field. And then it turns out like they're okay. And they recruited better this year, whatever. So Penn state's going to be okay, but Ohio state's not going to face that because they have a top five class, even if it's not top two, just imagine to yourself what it would be if they weren't in the top 15. Yeah, and that has been sort of the norm in re- recent years. So everything we talk about is always relative to Ohio State's own success. So when I say disappointing year, it's relative to Ohio State being a playoff team. They're not one this year. And when we talk about the strength of the class, it's relative to where they competing for the recruiting championship, although I'm, yeah, we don't have to go into how much we care or don't care about that, but recruiting for that number one spot as opposed to just having a really good class. So Steven, again, as a person who kind of follows this day by day, OSU's MO under Ryan Day has been to sort of jump out to this big lead in the recruiting rankings early on. They have a big flourish, a big a big swell of, 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 of commitments early on. Without getting too much into the minutia yet, can you compare – Compared to where Ohio State was at the end of the spring, the beginning of the summer, how should fans feel about how this class turned out? That's a really good way to ask that question. Uh, fine. Pretty optimistic. Um, because even it's the number four class in the country, which is behind three SEC schools, Texas A&M, Georgia, and Alabama. And it's there despite a lot of messiness happening. Over the past couple of months here, losing some key guys, Quinn Ewers being one of them, uh, Jaheim Singletary being one of them, Desan McCullough being one of them. There, This class, there's talent in it, but there's also like a lot of what-if situations with this class of guys where it feel, felt like in the moment they might be ready to pop for Ohio State, and then they never really capitalized on some of that momentum, which put it in its position where it is right now especially at the line of scrimmage where we're coming down to the wire here. We're still waiting on some defensive line guys. So I think people should feel fine about the class. It's a quality class. Like I said, number four in the country. It's just, I think we're going to look back on this when you read about some of these guys and go, man, what if we'd had this guy in this class or man, what if this hadn't happened? I think we're going to get into a lot of those guys again, mentioning those guys who aren't here as we get into the positions specifically as we go along in this episode, but I wanted to early on set the stage here. And I know that sometimes reading lists on a podcast isn't maybe the, the 
most compelling material. But Stephen, if you can kind of, this class is ranked number four nationally, number one in the Big Ten. Can Stephen, can you kind of give us a rundown of who the commitments are, the ones that are actually already committed, just to remind people who they are and like relatively, you know, maybe something very brief about their ranking and, and what that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's start at the top. CJ Hicks, the number two linebacker, number 12 player, one of the two five-star recruits in this class, the bona fide leader, as he likes to call himself, Captain Buckeye of everybody in this class right now. If there's a guy where we're going, okay, who's the guy who's going to be ready to play immediately? It's CJ Hicks right out of Archbishop Alter in Dayton, Ohio. And then the next five-star and who just got in the class as of last week, Sonny Styles, he was supposed to be the C.J. Hicks, Jack Sawyer, Paris Johnson of the 2023 class, but instead he is going to join the team early by graduating in May. He'll get on the campus in June, and he is a number 13 player in top safety now in the 2022 class. And then we have Devin Brown, the court, the quarterback who basically is Quinn Ewer's replacement in this class after that whole debacle happened, the number 53 player, the number six quarterback in the country. That's a pretty good consolation prize when – as I, you know, everything that's happened over the last four months here. And then Terrence Brooks is uh, probably the one guy you want to keep an eye on here, the number 59 player, the number eight cornerback in the class out of Texas. Um, it, there's all signs say that everybody who is currently in this class is going to be signing on Wednesday. But if there is a guy to keep an eye on, I would say that's the guy to keep an eye on. And just to move a little quicker here through some of these top 100 guys, Gabe Powers, the number 61 player, wide receiver Caleb Burt, the number 68 player, Kenyatta Jackson, the edge rusher, number 70 player. Then another wide receiver, Caleb Brown, the number 72 player. Wide receiver, Keon Grays, the number 106 player, which kind of cuts off the top 100 borderline, top 100 players. And then you get to offensive tackle, Tegra Tishabola, wide receiver, Kojo Antwi, cornerback, Jair Brown, running back, Dallin Hayden, uh, offensive tackle, George Fitzpatrick, cornerback, Ryan Turner, who is teammates with Kenyatta Jackson down in Florida, uh, athlete who's expected to play safety here, Kai Stokes, tight end, Bennett Christian, and then offensive tackle, Avery Henry. So that's what, 18 commitments as of right now? As of right now, you have 18 commitments. Okay. Who are we on watch? The decisions that will come down before Wednesday or on Wednesday, who are the immediate ones that we're expecting word on? Yeah, there's only one person who is scheduled to make a decision between now and signing day. Now, that, that doesn't mean some other guys might not pop, might pop or not, but it means there's only one guy scheduled. And as you're listening to this, around 3.30 on Tuesday, Caden Curry, the number 88 player, the number 14 defensive lineman out of Indiana, will be making his decision. It's going to be either Ohio State, Alabama, or he'll stay home and play for the Hoosiers. And there's very good reason to believe that he will be a Buckeye. The Buckeyes have seemingly been the leader in this recruitment for about a year now. And it's I've written this, I've said in the past, it's really going to come down to Ohio State sees him as a three tech. Um, but every defensive lineman in the world wants to be a defensive end because that's where the big money is and where all the fame is. And if Alabama or Indiana is selling him on the idea of being an edge rusher instead of a tackle, does he, you know, fall in love with that more than what may be the best position to maximize him as a football player? So if he commits to Ohio state, that would be 19 who else in then in the immediate aftermath of signing day, like what other commitments or what other decisions are kind of hinging on what this class is going to be? Yeah, two offensive linemen to keep an eye on. They don't have exact commitment dates, but just as you know, we get closer to signing day, as we just go through these next couple of weeks here, to keep an eye on Ernest Green 
and Carson Heinzman, Ernest Green from St. Bosco High School. He's a guard who his relationship with Wyatt Davis is why Ohio State has stuck around this long and the idea of him being the next guy from St. John Bosco as an offensive lineman to come be an All-American here. And then Car- Carson Heinzman out of Wisconsin. It's Ohio State or Wisconsin. And it's this is a kid who it, it, he's from Wisconsin. He's an offensive lineman. So you probably would just think Wisconsin's going to win that out. But if he's willing to leave his home state and go anywhere, it's going to be Ohio State. And then some dates to keep an eye on here. Zion Brantz, who literally just put out his top three as we're sitting here recording his, this podcast, USC, uh, Oklahoma, and Ohio State are in it. It's, he, he'll be announcing on December 15th on ESPN. And that looked like an Ohio State lock until Lincoln Riley got hired at USC, which is his dream school. And it's really hard to compete with a guy's dream school, especially when it looks like they're going to be good. So it looks like at this point, that's probably going to be a USC win there. And then some other guys, Amari Abor and Hero Canoe will both be uh, committing announcing their decisions at All, at all American Games in the new year. Uh, Amario Abor at, on January 2nd and then Hero Canoe on January 8th. Okay, so that's a rundown of what we think this class will look like. So you're talking about at, at the most how many commitments here? 23, 24? 22 or 23. Okay. That was Doug, awful. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Doug, I, you don't follow it from a minutiae standpoint on a day-to-day basis, but just from like the 10,000-foot view of things, how do you assess the quality of a recruiting class? And and, and I'm, I'm trying to get to how – give fans an idea of how we think they should assess this class because so many times I think people look at the immediate deficiencies of a team and what's coming in and recruiting that next year. And I think that's very tricky because the real impact of a lot of these guys, as you said earlier, it's more like two or three years down the road. Agreed that it's not exactly, Hey, the linebackers didn't play that well. Who are your linebackers? Right. Although actually that might directly apply to CJ Hicks. That may matter. We're going to get to that. Yeah. (laughs) I do think there is, did you get a couple of the guys that you really, really spent a lot of time and energy on and that you went head to head with some other national powers and that you really won a battle for a guy that lots of people wanted. I think that's important. And I do think, and I actually think this has been something I'm not going to say, listen, they're great at recruiting, right? They have great strategy. They have some uh, position coaches who really lock it down and develop great relationships. I, mostly the strategy, I mean, the Pantone strategy of how they go about things is as good as anybody in the country, if not the best. So the, any criticism of recruiting is only against the standard that Ohio State has set for itself. I do think sometimes when you just go by rankings, if you're really nailing one position and that's receiver. Like if you are stacking, it's like, Hey, we have 10 top 50 guys at the same position. It's like, that's cool, but you can't play them all. Some of them are going to transfer. Where are those type of players at other positions? So I do think they, that does happen to them. And within the context of this is a good class I think there are some clear areas here where they didn't do what they wanted to do slash needed to do. And when you look at this class, they have eight top 100 kids, which is last year they had 14. So that's not as many, but also 
if you look at the 2017, 2018, and 2021 classes, 17 and 18 were like the peak of Urban Meyer, right? Back to back, mm-hmm. number two classes in the country. National, non-Ohio top 100 kids, non-Ohio top 100 kids. 2017, 10. 2018, 11. And then last year, which again was the number two class in the country, great class, 10. This year's class has five non-Ohio top 100 kids. Now it is very fortunate for them that CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles and Gabe Powers are great top 100 guys right in their backyard. But they are not pulling as many Chase Youngs and J.K. Dobbins and Amekeg Bukas and guys like that that they have in other recent classes. And one year is not a trend, but those guys change your program. And I am, how do I also say this? I like when you can see sort of like a clear plan in your class. It's like, well, we knew we needed this guy. We needed, we needed a great offensive tackle. We targeted these three guys. We were in on all of them and we got this one. And I think there's less of a plan a little bit in this class. For instance, when you look at the quarterback, that I and they've done this actually a fair amount and it works out. So maybe I just need to give not worry about it. But it's like, hey, Devin Brown's the third highest guy, a third highest ranked guy in this class. It's like, all right, well, like, where did that guy come from? That guy came out of no, like that was not a long term. But you know who else was that? CJ Stroud was that. So I'm just saying some of the guys that there it's a dangerous way, I think, to live with quarterback recruiting because you wind up hoping that your reputation saves you in the end that like some good quarterbacks want to come going to want to come play for you, even if you didn't lock it down. Like we thought it was great when they locked down Kyle McCord early. They identify Kyle McCord, lock him down. He's their guy. Stroud, late, Ewers, weird, Brown, late. Like it's just, it. I don't see as much of a plan. And that means they don't have the left tackle they thought they needed. That means they lost to San McCullough as a linebacker, decommit a while ago. They never replaced him. Right, Stephen? There's not a, there's not, we were talking about like a San no. McCullough replacement. Mm-hmm. Like we thought they would wind up with three linebackers. There's not. There are two mm-hmm. linebackers. They needed to improve their linebacker recruiting. They got like the two best linebackers in Ohio. They did not land a big-time national recruit at linebacker, which we thought it was time for Al Washington to do. They did not land a big-time national left tackle, which, thank goodness, they have Paris Johnson from Ohio who's waiting to take that spot. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's there's not yep. there's not some of those big, like, where's, where's the Chase Young? And I'll tell you what, like, if Terrence Brooks decommits, man, I don't know. Like, if Terrence Brooks decommits, then you're going to wind up with – your top four guys are three Ohio kids and a late quarterback who just came to play for Ryan day. Cause Ryan day is Ryan day. That's not like a great execution of a plan to me. All of this said within the confines of it's a top five national class. Yeah. And we're going to get into that much more. That's a big question that I have. That's going to be like the whole last third of this podcast. And I think it's going to lead to some great discussions about how do you look at the number four class in the country and still and then grade it based on the fact that there are potentially here, some really significant gaps there's an important thing you said at the front of that. You basically were asking sort of two questions. And the first one is the idea of like going head to head on a national level and winning some important battles. I wanted to run down real quick. Alabama right now is the number one ranked team in the 24 seven sports composite. 
is it 24-7 or 24-7 sports composite for this class? Uh, Georgia is number you know, two. I say 24-7 a lot, but I think it's like 24-7. Like they never yeah. stop. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's my assumption too. But I think people have actually said to us before, like, why are you guys the only ones that say 24-7? It's 24-7. So I don't what? know. Maybe they should come up with something a little less confusing. But, I think uh, 247, let's stay on this for a moment. Okay. I think 247 sounds good, but it doesn't reflect the nature of yes. the original name. It would be like calling 711 711. Correct. Yes. Right? Because it's open seven days a week. What is it? What's the 11 in 711? 11 hours um, a day? I don't even know what that means. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it would not reflect the intended nature of the name. So I respectfully would. Maybe we can have someone on from that website and ask them just one question. What would you like us to call you? Great. Thanks for joining us on Buckeye Talk. Anyway, sorry if we get it wrong, guys. Yeah. We didn't have 7-Eleven where I grew up. We had uh, Casey's, which I believe is like an Algonquin Indian word meaning really greasy pizza. Uh, good stuff, though. Good stuff. We like Casey's. I think the I have a friend that lives in Iowa, and the Des Moines Register at one point had a reader poll, and Casey's was voted like the best pizza in town. Which he, which he like holds up now as a as the shining example of Iowa culture that he uh, was forced to live in. There's a Casey's in my wife's hometown in Iowa, but there's also Casey's in Ohio now. Mm -hmm. People yep. want to go experiment with Casey's, but you I, don't really need to. I like the Casey's. So anyway, Alabama number one, Georgia number two, Texas A and M number three. This is what they are now. It probably could change a little bit going into. Those are all pretty close tight at the top um, as far as like winning that recruiting battle uh, battle going on between those three Ohio State four as we said Notre Dame five Penn State six Texas seven North Carolina eight and these are the total points you get the accumulation of all the commits so when you go by average recruit ranking for instance you know Ohio State's 94.1 Penn State's 90.72 so a pretty big gap there even though they're only separated by two points in the accumulation but I mentioned that because I'm looking down that list and this is all the teams that Ohio State wants to compete with on a national level. Um, you know, Alabama, there's a better talent base in and around Alabama than there is in Ohio. There's a better talent base in and around Georgia than there is in Ohio. There's a better talent base in and around Texas for sure than there is in around Ohio. So just looking up at the three teams above them, I think that's why it's important to win those national battles because when you just get the best ones from within your state, there's still probably a deficiency. Oh, Texas A&M has a lot of people it has to compete against for those same players, but Alabama and Georgia kind of have their pick. So I, I'm bringing this back to you, Stephen. What are some examples in this class of the battles, the big battles that Ohio State did win, the ones where they had to go on a national? Because we've already we already listed off Desan McCullough. Weird, not weird circumstances, but different circumstances that lead to him mm -hmm. not end up at Ohio State. Quinn Ewers technically wasn't even a member of the 2021 class by the time he was done, but I, you wouldn't call that. I don't think in the long run, a win, certainly, certainly not for the 2022 class. Was it a win? <laughs> and then Jaheim Singletary was one, maybe a little bit more of a conventional like flip to go somewhere else. But what were the ones, the important battles that they won? Yeah, I'm not really sure who Quinn Ewers was a win for at this point, but uh, Caleb Burton, when he Abuja. committed to, 
Yeah, that's who won there. Caleb Burton, when he when he committed, he was the top wide receiver in the class. And so that's part of this is things change, different people develop. And so people move up and down the rankings, especially when uh, the way Ohio State recruits, because they go on these big waves early. You get some of these bigger names early before a lot of, you know, late bloomers, per se, get a chance to show what they can do and stuff like that. And so yeah, that was a big win when they got him out of Texas. Terrence, Terrence Brooks, as long as they hold on to that and don't let Texas come in here and flip him in the next 48 hours, that's a big win. And though that though that's that's the Kerry Combs effect taking over right there. Kenyatta Jackson out of Florida, that's a pretty good win, a top 100 defensive lineman. But to the to Doug's point, that's more. I mean, look at the two coaches are involved with that. That's Kerry Combs, who we know can get the big wins out nationally. It's Larry Johnson who can get the big wins out nationally, and it's Brian Hartline who can get the big wins out nationally. None of the people who maybe need to prove that they can do that necessarily did that in this class. I should have mentioned this before when you were going down that list of commitments, our recruiting coverage at cleveland.com slash Buckeye talk has already started. Steven has been posting capsule looks at the members of this class a couple of day for now, I think over a week now. So everybody should go to cleveland.com slash OSU or cleveland.com slash Buckeye talk. And you can get a better look at each of these guys. There's been other recruiting coverage that we've been putting out there on a daily basis. I want to take our first break there. I want to come back. We're going to get into the specifics on some of the most important players of this class, how they might help Ohio State right away as they look at 2022. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. Back on the Buckeye Talk 2021 signing day preview, let's get into questions surrounding the most notable players in this class. And I want to start with a guy that we already mentioned, and that is C.J. Hicks, linebacker, local guy, in-state guy. You should say local, I guess, but just, just down the road. Does C.J. Hicks have to pull a Denzel Burke in 2022? Because linebacker right now, as you look at this roster, is still probably the position with the biggest question mark right now. And Jim Knowles is coming in with no loyalty to anybody on this defense. Correct. So he, whatever Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg and Cody Simon have done, Jim Knowles will look at it on film, but that's it. And I don't know if what he sees on film is going to knock Jim Knowles's socks off. So he will be, I would imagine, very open to wide open competitions everywhere. So I guess your question, Nathan, was do they need do they need CJ Hicks to come in and do that? I think my answer is a resounding yes, because they need someone to do it who didn't used to be a running back six months ago. And again, that's not about steel chambers. That's about the lack of development in that room. And so I don't want to put too much expectation on CJ Hicks. He would put it on himself, so you're good. I will say I think he has a chance to be one of the five to ten most consequential defensive recruits that I've covered in 17 years because he is coming in at a time where there is need, there is opportunity. He is an Ohio kid. He is obviously a natural leader. He is obviously a person who is eager to rise to a challenge. And when we have gone through the whole year looking at team after team at a team after team that Ohio State is playing, it has better linebackers than Ohio State. It is time for Ohio State to have the best linebacker on the field. And the guy who has the best chance to be that in the next couple of years, as things stand right now, is C.J. Hicks. So this 
potentially is a Chase Young, Ryan Shazier, Jeff Okuda, Malik Cook. I mean, Malik Cook, I was going to say, but he was a low rate recruit. Like, this is a chance to be incredibly impactful. I think you might be looking at a guy who is a three-year starter who sort of resets what it means to be an Ohio State linebacker. Because I do not think this group, and listen, Pete Werner was just here and it was a second round pick in the NFL draft. So I'm not, I'm not meaning to downplay the good players that they have had here, but how about the time of superstar? Who's up for a superstar linebacker at Ohio state? Anybody, anybody want the next all big 10 first team, like best linebacker. I mean, who's, what's the name of the award? The Katzen Moyer, Laurinaitis, Hawk Spielman Award. I don't even know what the Big Ten calls our linebacker award. You could name it for 60 linebackers at Ohio State. Maybe an Ohio State guy can win that. And I think C.J. Hicks could be that guy. So, Stephen, you say he can handle it? They need him, man. They need him. I, I'm trying to think of the last time that Ohio State sort of needed a true freshman. as Probably Travion, actually. Yeah. Travion yeah. Henderson. That is actually the Denzel Burke comparison is in production, but not expectation. I think the the Travion Henderson comparison is both in expectation and then potential production. That's where I was going to go with it. This is what he told me. When you think of Ohio State's defense, you usually think of D-line with Coach Johnson or BIA with Coach Combs. But nobody really talks about the linebackers. We're trying to bring that back to Ohio State. Oh, they talk about the linebackers. (laughs) <laughs> just not, not the way, the way they way, talk yeah. about those other like, games. I'm, again, due respect, there have been good ones here, but they don't talk about them on a national level. You're right. That is, he. That's the expectation he's bringing in with himself, and I agree with the resounding yes part because, yes, Steel Chambers was a, a pleasant surprise that he ended up somehow being Ohio State's best linebacker this year. Cody Simon showed some growth, but nothing about the way they played this year made you think, this is going to get tenfold better. There's another level they get to just because they have experience, but nothing told you, all right, one of these guys is going to be a, a lock as a all first, a first team, all big 10 guy and borderline all American guy watching CJ Hicks in person, a lot, multiple times talking with him. This guy screams future all American. I'm not saying he's going to be that next year, but I do like the Travion Henderson of the linebacker room makes a lot of sense for him. And it says maybe he's not the starter from day one, but if he's not the starter by game six and it's just not his job, something's gone terribly wrong with his development. Uh, well, I mean, six weeks in for a true freshman, I don't know if you would say something's definitely gone wrong with his development just because the other thing, I mentioned this on the Knowles podcast when, when he was hired, and the, Doug, you, you just said it, that it, he's going to come in with a new perspective and fresh eyes. He doesn't owe anybody on this defense anything other than an opportunity, and, and they don't have any equity. These players don't have any equity with Jim Knowles yet. He's coming in blank. But beyond just looking at film, there's also, you know, he's changing some things schematically. He's a linebacker's coach. He's probably going to change, could change the way that they train them in certain ways or the way they go about, you know, developing their linebackers. So I think spring is going to be important too, but CJ Hicks is going to be in the mix in the middle of that, right? Like he's going to be here. 
in the mix of, of the guys who are trying to earn playing time. So that's the, I'll reserve that, that it's possible that they come in and uh, whether it is uh, Mitchell Melton, whether it's Reed Carrico, other guys who are already in the program but didn't get a chance to play this past year, they can also prove themselves a little bit. I wouldn't go so far as to say if C.J. Hicks isn't starting by week six, the things have gone off the rails. But I also think he is the kind of player that, relative to the talent that they already have in the room, if he if he makes a big impression, it definitely it could make this defense better overnight. Part of Jim Knowles' job is also to make the guys who are here better. So there might yes. be something about Jim Knowles' defense that mm. unlocks Cody Simon yeah, or right. un- unlocks Tommy Eichenberg, that Jim Knowles watches film and says, man, I'll tell you what, I like how these guys play. They just weren't having them do the right stuff. You can tell Fair. that they, were, they weren't coached the right way. They were hesitant about this. They weren't lining up the right way. They weren't asking them to do the right stuff. So there's room for that as well because it can't just be, listen, you can't, you're not going to save this whole defense with this recruiting class. They're going to have to unlock a couple of the guys that are here. So there's room for that. But I think this is, I've always, for a long time, always said like, man, I'll tell you what, like if a true freshman is playing at Ohio State, something kind of went wrong. You know, that like, that's your, this is Ohio state. This is too good. Like, what are you talking about? Like, this is not the plan. You should have all Americans stacked up where the true freshmen are coming in making sure they know where the bathroom is. And then they'll get to play maybe in year two, but that's not the deal here. And that's becoming less and less true with the way the game yeah. has changed and all that stuff. So that's not as true as it was five years ago. And there are first year guys all over the country who are doing great things, but this still remains a fairly unique situation for CJ Hicks with, how much of a of a vacuum there is in that room that he can step right into. Ohio State hasn't hit that point yet. They're still in the, the theory of if a true freshman's playing, I mean, something went wrong. Why is Travion Henderson the starting running back? Well, because you missed OBJ Robinson. Why are we talking this way about C.J. Hicks? Well, because the linebackers weren't that good yet. Why was Denzel Burke the best corner? Well, because you missed in cornerback recruiting for two straight cycles. So they're not there yet, but I do think in a – Normal world, yes, I think it's fair if every year around signing day we're going, okay, which freshman's going to be the breakout? Because it's fair to say one of these five stars is going to make an impact in year one, even if – like Gary Wilson. I don't know. Gary Wilson was awesome as a freshman, but they had enough veterans there that if they just didn't play him that year, I don't know if we'd have been like – I don't know if anybody would have been calling for Brian Hartline and not be the wide receivers coach anymore. Well, here's, and here's an important perspective that I want fans to remember, our listeners to remember. C.J. Hicks could end up being – one of the two best linebackers, a linebacker who deserves to start next year. That doesn't mean he's necessarily raised the level of performance in that room a lot. That So that kind of gets back to what Doug is also saying, that they need to unlock more talent from the guys who are here regardless. I think Steel Chambers had a good first year, especially under the circumstances, but I think he probably needs to be better in 2022. Certainly, you know, Cody Simon played through a, a shoulder injury all year. So maybe with rest and rehab or whatever else he has to do, maybe he's a better player in 2022. Maybe Tommy Eichenberg, like you're saying, in the Jim Knowles defense, maybe it looks different and there's a there's a better way to utilize him in 2022. So I, I'm intrigued by what that whole linebacker room could be, but if he can come in and sort of help elevate, I think he needs to he needs to be a solution that elevates the level of play in the room, not somebody necessarily that just jumps to the top of the list and the rest of the room is still adequate, if that makes any sense. Well, let's stay on linebackers, and I want to talk about Gabe Powers because we brought this up last week, and now in light of the, the Jim Knowles hiring, it's taken on a, a bit of a different slant potentially. I asked you, Stephen, we did a podcast one week ago where it was like a one-week lookout, and I said, does Gabe Powers come in as a linebacker and does he leave as a linebacker? And we had a discussion about, this dalliance at defensive end 
the Jim Knowles defense that has the um, I'm blanking now on which one Jack. they call it. Is it the Jack? Yeah, I started to say Bandit, but I know that's the the more of the bullet ish thing. The Jack linebacker is that potentially a Gabe Powers destination? Possibly. I said it on that pod, and I'll say it on this one too. Where Gabe Powers plays is depending on how much he, effort and work he wants to be put into, you know, keeping his weight at a certain level to keep being a linebacker because he's six foot four, two hundred and thirty pounds. And for comparison, Kenyatta Jackson is an edge rusher and he's 6'5", 235. So he's, they're pretty much the same size there. And so I won't be shocked if, and we see this a lot with linebackers where they started as a linebacker, but as they continue to grow into their body, they end up being defensive ends. I think Javante Jean-Baptiste was that when he got here. I won't be shocked if by the time he graduates from Ohio State, Gay Powers is a defensive end. And if that's the case, if he's already got some of the, the, the standing linebacker rushing ability, that jack position seems like a prime place where you can put him. Yeah, I think that's – I want to make sure I say that because it's we, – it, we end up calling it the jack linebacker. People end up calling it the jack linebacker, but it probably should just be called the jack in a lot of ways. You do linebacker things, but you're not really a linebacker. We're already starting the semantic, <laughs> the semantic avalanche that's crushing. Doug okay, let's just let's just let's just put it this way: what David Ajabo did for Michigan this past year—that's my expectation of what the Jack is. Yeah, he's a defensive end. He's an edge rusher. He's an edge rusher. So cool. Uh, sounds like a future tight end to me, actually. Right? Gabe Powers on the Kate Stover plan. <laughs> No, yeah, he'll go from tight end to defensive line and then to, to, no, he'll go from linebacker to tight end, to defensive line, then tight end. And then in the Michigan game, in the goal line situation, you'll put him in a linebacker. I'll tell you what, this is a place that recruits defensive ends. I would not, to me, if you're a guy who sort of came in as a linebacker and got moved to defensive end, I don't think that's a great thing for you because it's like, oh, well, you're probably going to be behind the guy who was just like a top 50 national defensive end who came here as a defensive end. So, Good luck. I don't know. I might try to stay at linebacker if I were him. Yeah, but I'd I agree. There's more opportunity there. But, but Steven's right. Some of it is just your your natural growth and, and what fits you best. I mean, G. Scott ran into that a little bit. It made sense for him to move positions too, but his body was just sort of telling him, you, you may not be a receiver. And so if that happens with Gabe Powers, then moving him up might be the, the only way he can go. My body told me that once as well. My body told me, you are not a receiver. You're a golfer. <laughs> that's what my body told me. It's, that's definitely a, a very useful analogy for what we're talking about here. <laughs> that, did that really screw up your recruiting? Were you, uh, was, was, was the Brian Hart line of, of, of Eastern Pennsylvania uh, burning up your phone line until, you, uh, until they got a look at you? They came to visit me at my high school and, I'm, and they were like, I don't know if you can play receiver. And I was like, do you have a tennis team? I could be on that. Cause I could be the manager of that tennis team. Yeah. <laughs> Steven, why did Sonny styles reclassify and how does it change this class? Yeah. To my understanding, and I'll, I'll be writing about this more in the next week or so. Uh, this is not an NIL Quinn Ewer situation where he's coming here because somebody's giving him money to do so. That I'm saying that understanding that the moment he steps on campus, he's going to get an IL deals. I know that, but that's not the reason why he's doing this. He is able to graduate early. He had to put, the, this was a conversation that was supposed to be put off until 
after the basketball season, let him be a kid a little bit longer, especially since he's not graduating until May anyway, but they just went ahead and did it. And so he, you know, he put in a petition to the, I think it's the Pickerington uh, school district board to be able to do it. They approved it. And so he'll graduate in May, show up here in June and just be a member of the 2021 class. He is doing this to get an early start on his development because we just got done talking about where Gabe Powers is going to finish. It's very interesting to see what Sonny Styles really ends up being at Ohio state because he's six, four, two freaky athletic, really fast, you know, jack of all trades athlete where you can just say, go on the field and be sunny style. So it's going to be interesting to see now that he's going to be in the uh, strength and conditioning program with Coach Mick, what he ends up being. So that's the that is the motivation behind this. He's on track to do it and he wants to get his physical development started as a football player. So it, the the process could have happened because he's not going to graduate early. He won't be here until mm-hmm. till the summer. Yeah. Is it any coincidence that the public nature of this got sped up at a time where Ohio State's missing out on other safety commitments in this class? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> uh, could we, our recruiting rankings could use a boost? Could you ask your school board if you could graduate oh, early? I, I don't um, think it's the recruiting rankings. Again, we'll get to this later, but I think it's just the potential like crater at that position. So, they they would uh, yeah I'm just I'm asking getting that I'm, not I'm going saying, to say I'm just Ohio Ohio State would rather its players not reclassify because it does kind of throw some things out of whack for how you want to build classes not but at the same the now 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 at the same time I'm not going to sit here and tell you that anybody told them to not come and, and, and it's, it has nothing to do with why X is, Xavier Wampa is going to Iowa. That was going to happen anyway. It has nothing to do with why Zion Branch is going to – it's probably going to go, end up at USC. That was probably going to happen anyway. You know, because in that situation, it was very much we want those two or we're done getting defensive backs. This is helpful, not hurtful, but at the same time, it, they're not necessarily – one plus one doesn't equal two in this situation. It just happened to line up very, you know – well here for that to happen but it wasn't like it wasn't like somebody was like hey you should definitely do this so sunny styles academically can graduate and be here in the fall of 2022 can he play football for Ohio state in the fall of 2022 and i'm i I mean i know legally he can i'm saying can he physically play football for Ohio state next season that's interesting yeah it's it's i mean he's technically getting here just like someone who did wasn't early enrolling which is not everybody early enrolled so it's not no practically everybody that. practically everybody yeah i know who, i know who played this year that didn't early enroll who has played in recent years that didn't early enroll we just Lathan had a whole Ransom. conversation we just he played like at the end of the year he yeah. played in the national championship game he didn't play at all during the regular season mm-hmm. like they got to the playoff and they were like i don't know should we play this guy he didn't play during the year. We just had a whole conversation on a recent podcast about how Denzel Burke was ahead in Jordan of Jordan Hancock mm-hmm. and Jaquelin Johnson because he was here in the spring and they weren't. So no, he's not. I, I I would not. A high school kid who is not getting here until June at a position like that, who's very 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 good. And this sounds contrary to every Quinn Ewers thing I ever said, but I just thought Quinn Ewers might be like an outlier, right? But like they. They've got to have a plan that doesn't include Sonny Styles playing important minutes for them anytime before their bowl game. I mean, that, 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 that's my, not realistic. My prediction is Sonny Styles will be a very hot draft prospect in the 2022 Buckeye Talk Big Ten Open Locker Room interview draft. 
I'll say, yeah, I agree with that. I'll say if they need him to play, that's a bad thing. That means because like true. I mean that that that's how I'll put it. I'm not saying I'm not gonna rule out him maybe get creating a role for himself midway through the season. I will say that if he, but if he has to play something with wrong because you still got Ronnie Hickman expected to come back. Court Williams should take a jump this summer. Uh Josh Proctor's expected to come back. So there's enough there that you shouldn't be it's not a CJ Hicks situation. You should be like, oh, this guy needs to be playing. Can I can I since you brought up Court Williams, have you guys noticed Court Williams retweeting Anybody who ever tweeted that Court Williams needs to play more recently, yeah. Court Williams went through a stretch here <laughs> the last couple of days where he was just retweeting. He was searching for himself on the Twitter machine and retweeting anybody who was like, we need more Court Williams on the field, including some that were like, this player is playing and Court Williams should play instead of him. And Court Williams was retweeting those. So I'm not trying to like stir stuff up, but he was retweeting it. He did like 30 of them. So Court Court Williams wants to play. So we also think Court Williams should play. So like he's not expressing any sentiment that is not shared by most members of the media and of the fan base. This is an intriguing time to me. All the Noel stuff that we just said about Gabe Powers, I think it applies to this whole defense. And when he comes in and and takes a fresh perspective on the personnel here, I, I just for guys like that, I would have said this too about Ryan Watts as, as he's on his way out the door. I, I, is that a little bit premature because you're going to have a guy come in with a completely new perspective of how to use defensive players and a guy who's going to get a fresh assessment of your abilities. And I, that to me, I'm always intrigued by that when there's coaching changes like this, even if it's just a position change, but when it's a guy who coordinates the whole defense, who's like the boss of the defense, now he's going to come in and do, you know, go through all the resumes and go through all of the performance reviews and all the film and everything else. I'm trying to equate it to like working at a department store or whatever, but he's going to come in and have take a new assessment of all this talent. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what that means for what this team looks like at the end of the spring and what it looks like on opening day next year. We already talked about the battles that were won and lost. Steven, are people still coming after Kenyatta Jackson and Terrence Brooks and what would be the ramifications of the loss of either of them at this stage? Oh, let's start with Kenyatta Jackson. I mean, if you lose him, you don't have any defensive linemen in the class for as of right now. Unle- with Caden Curry still hanging with out. With Caden Curry still hanging out there. So that's a pretty big loss. That's a to the point of that you went down in the SEC country and brought a guy north. They don't have an SEC guy that they brought north anymore because even Caden Curry, he's a state over. He's two and a half hours from here. Um, so that's a that's a pretty big loss there. But yes, a, a two four seven. Now, I don't know which one to call it because y'all had the entire conversation. Uh, 247 Sports put out a report saying that Miami is still pushing hard to try to get Kenyatta Jackson. And he he responded to it saying that he's a lock. He's, he's signing with Ohio State on Wednesday. So uh, I, I'll believe that one, that he's actually going to come, him, him and his teammate Ryan Turner. Um, the Terrence Brooks one is interesting. In this world where Steve Sarkeesian's actually getting a normal offseason to, you know, quote, unquote, Texas is back that we say every five years. Um, they just got Quinn. Um, it seems like they're going to start locking up some more of those Texas guys. So that that's one I'm going to be keeping my eyes on to see if Texas can actually flip them. Sarkeesian and one of his assistants actually were at Terrence Brooks' house for an in-home visit last week, right after like Terry Combs and Ryan Day were there. So it's like that, that's a, that seems like more of an actual fight than the Kenyatta Jackson one. And I think we have to take into account the Kerry Combs situation here, because clearly yes. it's having an effect because Xavier Wampa 
said it. Yep. Right. At, at his commitment that coaching stability was one of the reasons yep. he stayed at Iowa. And the idea that Ryan Day and Kerry Combs went to say hello to one of their five highest guys in the class. And it's like, is we sure Kerry Combs is going to be here? And Stark is going in with like, Texas is back stuff. And hey, by the way, Quinn Ewers is just here and let's go. Guys in Texas are going to start going to Texas again. That that feels like the kind of thing that could be hard to hold on to because they are clearly, Texas is clearly spinning that. Yes. They're clearly telling Terrence Brooks that. You don't even know if that guy's going to be there, man. They demoted that guy. They just hired this new guy. You don't even know what his job's going to be. If he's going to be there at all. And so that seems like a big deal. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure certainly, I mean, this is, everybody can, can do this analysis. This is, that's one to watch before Wednesday. So if it feels very Clark Phillips, 2020 ish to me, which is Clark Phillips, like because he's going to play. Yeah. And he's going to play for Utah against Ohio state in the Rose bowl here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's the it feels the exact same way where we're all we can all sit here and be like, OK, yeah, we're confident that he's still going to sign up until the moment he doesn't. This is what it feels. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. That's what but it feels like I'm, it's a very 50 50 chance of that happening. And to the point of they're spinning the Kerry Combs might not be here thing with defensive backs. That's why Kerry was also down to see AJ Harris in the 2023 class. And basically every important cornerback recruit, Kerry Combs went to go see. They do the same thing with the defensive line. And it's, listen, we don't know how much longer Larry Johnson's going to be coaching. He might retire tomorrow, which is part of the reason why they only have one defensive line commit right now with Katie Curry in the waiting. Larry Johnson did get demoted and hired on top of. And listen, this is the other thing. And this, we have plenty of time to analyze this in the off season, but you think about the talent hotbeds in the country. Mario Cristobal at Miami. Miami's more legit than it's been in decades. Lincoln Riley at USC. USC is more legit than it has been since Pete Carroll left. Billy Napier at Florida. Some people think that Billy Napier is the next Nick Saban. Billy Napier is more competent than the list of kind of weird dudes that Florida's had in there since Urban Meyer left. Florida is going to be a much bigger deal. Ed Orgeron was a great recruiter, but Brian Kelly's in there now. It's going to be different. They paid a bunch of money for him. Mm. LSU was always a recruiting power. Year two of Sark, if Sark's getting a little juice now, I don't know, man. And then meanwhile, Bama's still Bama. Georgia is better than it's ever been. And Texas A&M is better than it's ever been. So every school, practically, and Oklahoma, I actually think Brent Venables is pretty darn good. It's going to be a whole different mindset. And, and, but, and by the way, a whole bunch of Clemson guys decommitted defensively when Brent Venables left. So one of which is like considering Ohio state one like a lot of the hotbed talent areas have new or newish coaches who have a chance to lock down their areas that have been fertile feeding grounds for schools like Ohio state lately. Almost everybody in those areas is trending up with the exception of Oklahoma, which might end up trending sideways. Uh, it's uh, Brent Venables. They might take a 20% dip in recruiting. I don't think Brent Venables is going to let them fall off a cliff. Clemson might fall off a cliff. Clemson is right teetering on the edge, but there's going to be plenty of people, you know, filling that area. This is something that it could potentially have long-term ramifications on Ohio state's recruiting strategy. If the States of Texas, California, and Florida 
are more competently run at the major football programs than they have been in a while. Oklahoma might just flip. You know, like for a while it was they can get any offensive recruit in the country, but they can't commit recruit defensive guys for anything. They might just flip now. It's like because their head coach is a defensive genius, they're going to get every defensive recruit you can think of in that Big 12 SEC area while they can't find a quarterback or a wide receiver to save their life. Steven, who would these potential guys, the ones that maybe people should keep an ear out for as far as that have come open in the last couple weeks and have expressed some Ohio State interest or been rumored there? Yeah, Jihad Campbell, he's originally from New Jersey. He goes to school at IMG Academy. Uh, He took an official visit to Ohio State over the summer. He's a defensive end who is kind of in the same build of the Jack a guy who's about 6'3", 215, 220 pounds right now. That's the Of the decommits from Clemson, if they're going to take anybody from that situation, it'll be Jihad Campbell. We'll see when he makes a decision. He doesn't have a set commitment date right now. But, you know, Alabama has obviously gotten into that mix as well. He was just – they just he just took a photo with another recruit and Nick Saban. So, you know, I mean, Saban's always around lurking to you know, try to steal a top 100 guy. So that's a guy to keep an eye on as far as – someone who decommitted because of all these coaching changes. Steven and I talked last week about the receivers. We talked last week, uh, answered some questions from our texters about the guys who are maybe best suited to make a big impact right away. Guys who uh, maybe have the highest ceiling from some of the lower ranked. So, so go back and listen to that pod. I think it was a pretty good sort of primer to get things started for this even larger primer, I suppose. But I want to close here this segment with Devin Brown. And as Doug said, a guy who was a late arrival for this class relative to what quarterback recruits often are. But let's just call it like it is. There's a chance that he might have to be QB2 for Ohio State in the fall of 2022. So, Stephen, I guess just how ready do you think he is to be a college quarterback from day one? Right now? Not ready at all. He's 6'390 pounds and is playing high school football. By the time we start the season, I think he has a chance to be ready and, you know, kind of battle it out with Kyle McCord for the QB2 position next year because they've got not complete similar skill sets, but they can do a lot of the same stuff. They both really have strong arms and can push the ball down the field. They're really aggressive gunslingers. So it's it's the same concept, even if they're not completely the same, you know, football player. I think Kyle McCord was a little bigger coming out of high school. I think he was like 215 or something like that when he got to Ohio State. And so it, it's going to be interesting watching that that battle behind the scenes of as long as Kyle McCord, stick, if Kyle McCord were to leave, or even if he sticks around, it's going to be interesting watching that battle behind the scenes when we know CJ's a starter, but what's up with, you know, Kyle and Devin Brown, like who was better on this day of spring practice, who was better on that day of spring practice, kind of really similar to how it was with, you know, how it would have been had we actually had a normal spring in 2020 with Jack Miller and CJ. Well, yeah, but yeah, Kyle McCord, I don't have, I don't think that's a battle at all. Yeah, I think Kyle McCord's going to have a clear edge over Devin Brown this spring, but that doesn't have anything to do with who might be here in the fall. The the issue is whether Kyle McCord stays or goes. If Kyle McCord stays, he's not going to get beaten out by a true freshman for the number two spot, given the experience he has. I don't even think they would think about that. The whole reason that everything was sort of flipped on its head is because CJ and Jack missed so much in the pandemic year that the experience they got in year one was so minimized that it opened up the the window a little bit for Kyle McCord. But I I don't, I don't think it's a Brown McCord battle. It's a, what if McCord's not here and your backup quarterback is a true freshman who just committed late in the process. Yeah. And and that's my point. Like, I I don't feel like Ohio state is often it. 
it, honestly, it's not often in that situation. Obviously, last year was weird when you had nothing but freshmen. But I don't think there's a lot of times where Ohio State might go into a season where, yes, you've got this proven guy. And then number two is a true freshman who has never even been in uniform for a college game. But I would still I was having this discussion this past week, actually, with some of the guys who were covering the team uh, because it's like, you know, uh, Jack Miller transfers out. Like, where would you have ranked Jack Miller among quarterback talent in the Big Ten last year? Would he still been in like the top 10 quarterbacks in the Big Ten last year? So like Devin Brown as a number two seems like a potential worry, but also seems like how many teams would trade for Dev? We already have had this discussion about Common Cord. We'll have it about like every Ohio State backup quarterback probably for perpetuity. Like how many teams would trade their starter to get Ohio State's second or third guy? But also we have seen, I mean, when you don't have a guy like Kyle McCord there, if Kyle McCord leaves, I mean, listen, DJ Uyunglele was a backup to Trevor Lawrence. And um, I don't know, was Bryce Young, Mac Jones's backup last he year? He was I as a true freshman and they played pretty well. So, so I mean, you know, like that, that that's becoming more and more common. Is it ideal? Is it what you'd plan for? Uh, it would not be unprecedented at all if for a true freshman to be. Uh, Caleb I mean, Williams is the number two quarterback for Oklahoma. It's what everybody but Ohio State plans for. Everybody else expects that when you've got a second-year starting quarterback, their backup is a true freshman who's next in line. But because of the way Ohio State recruits this position, we can be in this position where it's like, oh, no, that's probably – is it a problem if there's a true freshman who's your backup quarterback? No, it wouldn't be a problem. It'd be fine because he's still a top 100 recruit. So that's a lot of conversations about what might this class affect – how this class might affect 2022. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back at what it maybe a longer view of this class, because I think it gets us to a more accurate grade of how good this class actually is and whether Ohio State did everything it needed to do with this recruiting class or has done everything it needs to do with this recruiting class. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. All right, so here's the question that I've kind of been dying to ask because I think it, it helps us contextualize what exactly happened with this 2022 signing class. And it's this. Does any class rank number four in the country automatically get an A grade? Or are we nitpicking if we say that this class that's ranked number four in the country that has, whatever you said, eight top 100 players, Doug's got a couple five stars, has two five stars. The rest of the Big Ten has two combined right now. Now, those are all still less than what Ohio State has done in some of its peak years in the last five, 10 years. But those peak years are pretty special, too. This is I don't think anyone would call this a bad class. But grading it by what it needed to accomplish, does Ohio State's coaching staff get an A for this recruiting class? I would say no, because I think you look at the five guys who are ranked in the top 100 nationally. I don't mean to be dismissive of the Ohio guys, because if they didn't get C.J. Hicks, we'd go bonkers. But it's just a lot of the Ohio guys – if you're an Ohio state staff that can't get the best players in Ohio to come to Ohio state, you're probably going to get fired. So it, it okay. is a base is a baseline, right? It is a, there's nothing extraordinary about it, but if you looked at it's Devin Brown, Terrence Brooks, Caleb Burton, Kenyatta Jackson, and Caleb Brown. So two of the five national top 100 guys are receivers. That's Brian Hartline. Brian Hartline gets an A there's four receivers in this class again, right? Aren't there, mm-hmm. there four, right? And yeah, so, I don't even know if they needed four receivers in this class. But so yeah. it's like, I mean, that the receiver recruiting is kind of propping it up in the quarterback recruiting. It was like Ryan Day is like, when you were left, I went out, got the top 100 guy at the end. The quarterback recruiting and the receiver recruiting is propping up everything else in this class. So I guess I would say 
You look at Jaheim Singletary, who's a five-star corner, who we thought if Jaheim Singletary was coming next year, we'd be talking about him the same way as C.J. Hicks. They lost him, and they didn't really replace him, right? They didn't. They didn't. Is there a guy in this classic corner that's like, oh, this guy's here because Jaheim Singletary left? And then we got this guy, and he's ranked number 111 in the country. He's a little lower than Jaheim, Hingle, than Jaheim Singletary, but he's still a great player. There isn't one of those guys, right? No, there's not. Okay. Dasan McCullough, linebacker, leaves. They A while ago, they don't replace him. Sean Murphy, whoever else they could, like, not here. It's two Ohio guys as their linebacker recruits. And they're both really good. But, man, it's sure good for them. There's a bunch of good linebackers in Ohio this year. So that's not good. And then there's no tackle. There's no high-ranked tackle. And Zach Rice is going to North Carolina, and Kenyatta Goodwin's going to Kentucky, and one of them should be here. So, no. No. It's not an A. It's not an A. They they lost some guys that they kind of needed. They didn't get the tackle they needed. And, like, this is a receiver and quarterback school right now that, frankly, is not recruiting other positions at the level that it was five years ago. It doesn't Steven, mean the program's falling apart, but it's not an A. So last week, Stephen, when you and I were on that uh, pod, I, I mentioned that we had done one and I, I couldn't find it at the time, but I went back and found it now. Finally, we did it in February, looking ahead to the top remaining 2022 recruiting needs. So that's how far back you can go to when we were already looking at this class had already started coming together, but what were still the big things that out there needed to be accomplished? Your number one position at the time, do you remember what it was? It was either tackle or safety. It was safety. And it was okay. my number two position. Okay. Now, they have Sonny Styles now because he reclassified. But as you said before, kind of jury is a little bit out on what exactly position Sonny Styles is going to play here at Ohio State. Yeah. They don't get Xavier Nwankpa. Sounds like they're not going to get Zion Branch. They do have another safety in this class, as you mentioned before. Kai Stokes. Kai Stokes, the athlete who they think is going to play that position, correct? Yes, he's supposed but right to play. Now, uh, we'll see what I can call it, but yeah, he was supposed to play cover safety. It ranked number 353 overall in the country, so they are going to get a safety for this class. And sometimes when you shoot for the best guys in the country, you come up second, and it looks bad if it happens multiple times in a class but considering that considering last february you said safety was the number one and i said it was number two glaring needs for this class and they're all they're going to get is a guy ranked number 353 in the country and a reclassifying guy who might play safety that seems like a huge huge hole potentially sitting there for the 2023 2024 seasons yeah and it's uh, some of this is they were so it's Xavier Wampa and Zion Branch or nothing, which like suggests that they be, some of that is like you saying that you believe that Jansen Dunn and Andre Turrentine and, you know, those two guys like specifically since they're they're coming off their freshman year this year, you believe in what they're going to be a little bit that you felt like you could go swing for the stars, but didn't necessarily have to worry about having a security blanket guy. I guess I'll I'll. Respect their judgment on that if you think because Andre Turner, um, Jansen Dunn was like flashing in spring football and in fall camp before he got hurt. So I'll believe that one a little bit. But yeah, they, they 
there were a lot of positions this year where it felt like they swung for the best guy they could get. And that was it. It was either this guy or it was nothing. Keontae Goodwin, you know, picked Kentucky back before they even had a back before like the recruiting dead period ended for a lot of different reasons that probably don't make any sense, but they didn't necessarily, you know, start going after other guys. They had their targets. And if they didn't land on those targets and they just didn't necessarily move on, which is a very polar opposite way than they do quarterback where it's like, all right, Quinn Ewers just reclassified. Let's go get another quarterback. And if they get a tw- whoever the 2023 quarterback is, if they get one, if something happens there, they're probably going to go look for another one, even if they have to do it within the last two weeks of a recruiting cycle. And so there is this, to, to Doug's point of this is a wide receiver quarterback school right now that shows up in recruiting. And quite frankly, it showed up on the field this year because those were the two consistent, even with you know what CJ went through at the beginning of the season. Once he got rolling, wide receiver and quarterback were the two positions that carried this team this year. So my number one position when we did that pod was defensive tackle. It was your number five position out of the 10 that we ranked. Talk about the defensive tackles that they have for this class. Okay. They don't have any yet. <laughs> the, the, the two. Again. Yeah. Keep an eye on that one. He'll be making his decision. It seems like that's going to be Ohio State. So that's one. That's your three tech there. And then Hero Canoe. His plan is to make a silent commit to a school. Sign now, but he will not make it public until, as I said, what day was it? January 8th. That's when he'll make at the uh, Army All-American Bowl. That's when he'll make the decision public. But there's also good reason to believe that they'll get both of those guys. So there, that checks off your defensive tackle. That's two top 100 recruits. Recruits. I think Hero Canoe might be a little better than his actual rating is right now. Um, he fell in love with Larry Johnson over the summer when he came for um, a, a day camp, and he's like a nose tackle type of guy. Uh, Caden Curry at three tech. So that'll check that off. So that is one place where it's like, okay, you needed these two things, and you went out and got those two things. They may have those two things. Yeah, may. Yeah, may. I, I, Doug, I would not- argue, though, I'm not sure I would ever put defensive tackle that high on the list of needs because they've shown an, an ability to rotate six guys, some lower ranked guys like they, they do a pretty decent job of finding Devon Hamilton. Well, maybe just Hamilton's Devon Hamilton and Ty Hamilton and like some other guys who are Robert Landers, you know, like you can find I, I'm OK, actually, with if your defensive tackles are a little lower rated and then you're only going to ask them to play 25 snaps well, a game because it's a sick man rotation, you know, I think that sounds like a great plan when they're playing next to chase young and the Boses, but when they're playing next to the defensive well, ends think, that Ohio state's been getting recently, going to win a national title. Tackles. Well then get defensive ends. The answer well, is not defensive end was number three on my list. So uh, well, the answer is not, if you're not getting good enough defensive ends, the answer is not get better tackles. The answer is get better ends. I don't know that anyone's winning a national title with their tackles right now. No, but I think that teams are not getting the playoffs when they can't stop the run, such as what Ohio state didn't do this past season. Moving along, I was going to loop you back in, but I want—I had a couple more positions I wanted to go by. Steven, num- cornerback was number two on your list, and it was number four on my list at that time. We already mentioned um, Terrence Brooks as a guy who is probably coming, but there's definitely questions about that. Any other cornerbacks in this class? Uh, yeah, Jair Brown, he's not 155. I think he might be a little bit better than that. I think he is watching him play, talking to him a little bit. Very Damon Arnett, 2019 which I think is a good thing. That's like the best version of Damon Arnett. Like literally even he talks trash like Damon Arnett does. So uh, that's a good pickup. Ryan Turner, I think is, I mean, he's number 333. So you take with that what you take with it. Maybe he outplays that making, maybe he doesn't. Losing Jaheim Singletary hurts. And it's why it's that much more important to make sure Texas doesn't steal Terrence Brooks from you. But immediately, 
I think it's fine as long as you hold on to Terrence Brooks because that gives that's Terrence Brooks, it's Jaquelin Johnson, it's Jordan Hancock as three top 100 guys in two cycles along with Denzel Burke clearly outplaying his ranking. I think your future is fine, even if it isn't the best that it could have been. And that's important to remember. They do have some some talented guys that will be redshirt freshmen that didn't play a lot this year, yeah. as you just mentioned. And in the last position I want to mention real quick, you had offensive line, and we put all the offensive linemen together, but you had it number three on your list, and I had it number five on my list. So, again, we were ranking out of 10. These are just the positions that were in our respective top fives. Offensive linemen for this class, Stephen. I think they did a good job getting a lot of versatile guys who can play a lot of different positions. And that's like a really nice way of putting the way that they recruited offensive line. No, tell me what that actually means. (laughs) It means that they go get a top rated. They they got George Fitzpatrick who can play anywhere on the line. Even if you get Carson Heinzman, he's a guy who can play anywhere at the line, but they see him as a center. Tegra Tishabola can play tackle and he can play in the, that's what I mean. They can play multiple positions on the offensive line, but there is no elite stout offensive lineman in this class, 100% bona fide tackle. And that's what they needed to get in the cycle. And they didn't get it. There's three guys, right? There's only three guys right now. Right now there's only three. And George Fitzpatrick, Tegra Tishabola and Avery Henry. When you say guys who can play versatile positions, it just means their average tackles and might have to slide inside. Well, it's not like I said, I said, I said that was a nice way to put it. Why? Why? We're not nice on here. Buckeye talk. Why are we being nice? This is not a good offensive line recruiting class. No, it's not at all. I'm sure they're nice, but two of them are ranked outside the top 300. Tegra Shibola is is a good player, and he's been committed to this school, this class forever, right? I mean, this guy's been around forever. Mm -hmm. And again, an Ohio guy. Yes. They didn't. They got one, and the other, and Avery Henry is. You better hope Avery Henry is Dewan Jones, Diamond in the Rough. They got Basically. one offensive lineman who's not from Ohio. What What are we doing here? Is this Jim Bowman offensive line recruiting? Are you kidding me? This no. is not good. This Steven, is not you, good. Steven, you mentioned another player who is still out there that could join this class. Yeah, Carson Heinzman, he's a borderline top one hundred recruit as well. He's from Wisconsin, so that's stealing a guy from there. But no, this is. This was not a good class and Tegra Shibola announced last week that he's not enrolling early. Correct. He's still coming with this class, but he's not going to yes. get here until the summer. I don't know if that was the plan originally, but that means you're looking at 2023 before he's even someone you're thinking about. He's not coming in as a true freshman after arriving in the summer and doing anything for this team to help it if it needs help. Right. So to you're the, looking at 2023 yeah. or maybe even 2024 before he's involved with anything. No, I'd say 2024 to the, here's the point. I, I mean, true freshman starting offensive lineman, that's that's not normal. No. So I'll say that there is not a guy in this class where you look at him and go, he's a starter in year two. And they've had that the last two years with Harry Miller and with Paris Johnson. There's nobody in this class doing that. And then Donovan Jackson might be that for this 2021 class. There's nobody in this class who we can throw under that hat. I mean, we did an exercise where we projected, I projected, and you guys um, mocked me uh, if, if needed, about the, the 2023, projecting the 2023 starting lineup. And the one big, like, uh, bugaboo that's, like, hanging out there potentially for that, that team is offensive line. And they didn't really, they didn't go get someone in this class that's going to solve that problem. No, oh, they didn't. They brought in Zach Rice for an official visit, and it was pretty clear that he wasn't going to consider them as a real option once he walked off of this campus, and that was kind of it. And when I say solve this problem, I wouldn't even really be a candidate to try to solve the problem probably that fast. And listen, they'll get a portal guy or they'll develop one of these 
lower rated guys or, you know, Josh Fryer will pop as a fourth year guy and be developed. And that's, you know, they'll, they'll find somebody, but there's no Paris Johnson. There's no Nicholas Petit Frere. There's no Donovan Jackson. There's no Wyatt Davis. There's no Josh Myers. And they usually have a guy like that. They usually do. I'm looking this up right now, but I'm pretty sure this is the first cycle since, yeah, this is the first cycle since 2016 that they didn't have a five-star offensive lineman in their class. So I guess it's just, it's the standard is their standard, but the reason they have been good and have not taken a dip as a program is because they have set a standard and continued to meet it. And part of the stuff that we talked about this year, you could see that 2019 class, that crossover class between Urban Meyer and Ryan Day that were third-year guys this year, that was a 14th-ranked class in the country. Listen, this is the fourth-ranked class in the country, right? But we saw that. We saw the effects of that. Some of the defensive problems were the result of not having third-year Chase Young and Jeff Okuda-type guys. So, of course, I mean, that's the whole point. Recruiting equals winning. And so they're – Three, you know, in in 2025, we're going to be saying, or 2024, we're going to be saying, oh man, their offensive line, I don't know, and it's going to come back to this. So there's an effect. So there's, I just don't think there's any way it can be an A. There's too many, and part of it is, it's, I mean, Stephen, you said it. If they shoot high and then they they almost pick nothing over settling, but they shoot who high on two safety guys and then wind up having a guy reclassified that sort of fills that need. But it just feels like there are more, aren't there a few more stories this year of guys that they shot high for and didn't get than maybe in recent years past. Yeah. There are just so many, especially last fall when it seemed like they had all the momentum in the world and they had the number one class in the country for like six months or something like that before things went off the rails there, there were so many, Oh, they got all the momentum from this guy. He might pop like a Damani Jackson or, oh, they got all the momentum for this guy, like Armani Winfield. And he ends up not coming. Like there were so many of those where it's like, it's why like crystal balls and momentum and all those predict they're great and all that, as long as like the kid capitalizes on it. But if the kid doesn't pop, then all that momentum was for nothing. And there was a lot of that in this cycle of, and some of it is maybe they had a lot of momentum because they found out a way to, you know, really dominate the recruiting trail in the world of the dead recruiting dead peer better than anybody else. It's part of the reason why the 2021 class was so good. And then once kids were able to get back on campus and some of those intangible things came back into play, other schools kind of caught up a little bit, but yeah, to the point of, it's just, they had a momentum for a lot of top guys and they never, and those guys never pulled the trigger. And what you end up with is the second highest rated class under the day era, but it's probably from a, a, impressive scale the third most impressive because 2020 is actually rated lower but it's got more guys who were big time guys and the other thing is again sometimes it's hard to stack classes which is why when they stack 17 and 18 it was kind of so impressive because if you're not bama bama's bama but everybody else as we said the the miss in one recruiting cycle opens the door for opportunities in the next recruiting cycle so when you look at the 2021 recruiting class. And it's like, oh, well, you got two five-star defensive ends and you got a five-star receiver and a five-star running back and a five-star guard and two top 100 cornerbacks. Like it, it can be hard, right? 
Dallin Hayden is their running back in this class. He's lower, far lower rated than I either Trayvon Henderson mm-hmm. or Evan Pryor. But when you have Trayvon Henderson and Evan Pryor, it's probably hard to get a top 50 running back because why would you come here? So maybe they bumped their heads up against the talent of their own class from a year ago, but then they better take the opportunity. They need to convert on some of these positions in the next class because they have to sell a five-star tackle on dude. You are going to play and be a star immediately. You're not getting the Paris Johnson treatment where you're going to have to wait for two years. We need you to play safety, man. We got safeties all over the field. We don't have enough of them. Five-star safety. Come on down. Hey, corner. We never really replaced Jaheim Singletary. That job is waiting for you, man. I think sometimes when you have a dip, you have to wait to see if you cash it in on the next class, but there are some tickets, Steven that they are holding on to, that they're going to need to cash in 2023. And then if they don't, then all of a sudden it's a trend and it's not that it's a up and down and you go, it's, hey, they aren't quite getting as many of the difference-making guys as they used to and what's up with that. So as much as I'm saying this is not an A and I'm saying there are some plans here that didn't come to fruition. I don't, there's not, there's no panic or anything about this, but you know, there's some stuff, there's some tickets left out there. Well, and, and again, I, I want to compare it to what we were talking about with 2023, because in reality, if you look at 2023 and you look across an entire 2020 or 22 position setup, and you're like, Ooh, I don't know about the offensive line, but like everything else looks awesome that's not a bad place to be in, right? Like you probably can find a portal thing that fixes that helps fix that in the short term. And you develop a guy that surpasses what we're expecting, whatever. I, and especially when you start talking about like, does it, do you need to have a great offensive line to make Trevor Henderson look great? Probably not. Or to make CJ Stroud look great? Probably not. So that to me, again, it was almost nitpicking to, to talk about that. And we, we did that in the context of that 2023 class, but we need to, in I'm short I, order, I think, do the same exercise for 2024. I, 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 I might push back on the, do you need a great offensive line that makes CJ yeah. look great? Because like Aiden okay, Hutchinson, well, yeah. like this okay, fair. all That's that fair. <laughs> in 60 Don't. minutes. Fair. Very fair. Very, I get, very, very I get what, okay. I do get what you're saying, but like, yeah, I'll say this. I, I'm, I'm putting together like a way too early projection with the 2023 class looks like to Doug's point a little bit. And I'm suspecting that might be a big class where you might see a lot of those guys where they do use that. Hey, there's opportunity. Come take it. Hey, you five-star. Hey, AJ Harris. Hey, Richard Young. And all, Hey, Caleb Downs and all down the list. I, so I do suspect when you're not Bama, there is a method to putting together a roster that isn't just every year. Let's just go get the 25 best players in the country and tell them to wait a year. It's it can't work like a factory. It has to kind of, you know, work together a little bit you almost have to pair them it's like the things that were great about the 2020 class weren't the things that were great about the 2021 class and vice versa yeah you can't come in with defensive tackles make the world go round, and then be like ah their offensive line stinks it's okay i didn't say stinks i just said does it have to be great let's make sure that we're judging by what i actually said no, no, no. That's not what we do here. We take things out of context and twist <laughs> but, words. But let's talk about twenty, like that 2023 line that would still have, I mean, it could potentially have Paris Johnson. We don't think it would, but you'd have Donovan Jackson. You'd have Luke Whippler. Um, so you would still have some like significant talents that would, but they would probably all be gone for 2024. 
So that's what I'm saying. Like we need to probably do an exercise where we look at that 2024 lineup based on what we know right now. How much can you project for 2024? Because I think it's going to be a lot more holes than it is answers on the cross, maybe the whole team for 2024 right now. They're just going to be running screen passes all game long and letting defensive linemen get through because they have nobody to block for the, for Devin Brown. So I do think people have made some good points about the fact that in the transfer world, you almost need to look at recruiting differently. And there's almost like two cycles and there's your high school recruiting and there's your portal recruiting. And we have to find a way to sort of link the two and not only evaluate high school recruiting in its own little box because it's it's part of a bigger situation just like in the nfl it's like you might not be very good in the draft but if you sign free agents in a smart way your team can still be good so i don't think ohio state ever wants to be or will be a place that is relying on a ton of portal guys to make them good but on the other hand we've seen the impact that those guys have had at important positions so I do think some of this stuff is it might just like this Florida international guy. I don't know what's going to happen with him, but it's like, well, who's your tackle going to be? It's it's like, well, our tackle is going to be a guy who's currently a starting tackle at a group of five program. That's our plan. And then we're going to say, why don't you come to Ohio state and start here instead of starting at group of five school X. And it's like, okay, well, that's cool. And Mel Tucker won 10 games that way, but I don't think, I don't think that's what you want to do. I don't think that's what you want your plan to be. So you just have to make sure that if you have these holes, they're a small number of holes. Buckeye talk. You don't want holes all over the place because you can always fill a gap, but you can't, uh, you can't build a championship team in the portal. You can fill a championship gap and you can build a pretty good team, but that's not what Ohio state's trying to be. You can find a championship player. I think like Trey Sermon ended up being that at the end of the year, Jonah Jackson, and then obviously Justin um, Noah Ruggles ends up being like a Lou Grozer award finalist. And so if, and then like, I, I mean, I know they're in like to try to get that tight end from Oklahoma right now, who's got crystal ball sitting in Ohio state as a, as a transfer. So you can do that. I think if it's one or two guys a year where it's like, we're not sure about the guys we have and we're trying to go win a national championship, then you can do that. But I don't know if Mel Tucker can use the transfer portal for 12 of his 22 starting positions. Ohio state shouldn't be living in that world. Yeah. And I think it's on all those situations you're talking about though, Steven, it's like one guy a year, I guess, Justin and, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, Jonah Jackson were the same year technically, but it's like, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of surgical strikes. It's not just mm-hmm. strafing the country and bringing in all of these a bunch in at one time and you can just look at multiple positions relative to this class you know this is a defense that's going to start three safeties and if sunny styles doesn't stay at safety they got like no impact safeties out of this class at least not apparently it would depend on some development you know if they start five offensive linemen you're getting no top 100 offensive linemen out of this class as doug mentions like it's all just relative to how ohio state's own standard but like you know uh, one right now top 100 defensive linemen out of this class and you start four defensive linemen at a time it just that's where i start to like try to look into the future and if those holes are going to pop up that he's talking about it's more about yes i I thought you made a great point early in this and you've repeated a couple times doug you can't just look at these scores that are out there that are based on piling up quarterbacks and receivers and think that's going to end up being the deciding factor of how good this team will be in three years because as we saw this year 
you really couldn't have matched up much of a better quarterback and receiver situation. I mean, they lead the country in points, lead the country in yards. Could have been we're, – we're like one Chris Olave big catch away from being the sixth team, seventh team ever to have 3,000-yard receivers. Three, three AP All-Americans, first team to ever do that at receiver, and you're still not going to the playoff because I don't think the complete package was here. And then you can point to recruiting failings that led to that. Right. And, and, and in those classes, they made sense because there was a crossover and a change and you had some stuff happen, but there's not, there's not really a reason for it. I'll be curious when all is said and done, when you look at what the defensive staff is and whether Kerry Combs is still here or not. And then people, and we got, I mean, Xavier Wampa already gave us a clue on that, but I'll be like in the end when the class comes together, did the defensive instability actually, would we look back and say, Oh, well, that was the year that Kerry Combs got demoted and we didn't know what was going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't have a firm handle on how pervasive that is across the board and maybe why they didn't get maybe quite as many guys. Like would they have lost, would they have lost Jaheim Singletary? If Kerry Combs was still a defensive coordinator, if Ohio State had played great defense and he had yeah. never been demoted, they would have lost. Yeah, because yeah, because he he decommitted back in like August, and that was that was more of a he probably shouldn't have committed here in the first place. Uh, he kind of jumped at that a little quicker than he should have, and like people around him, I remember talking to his coach. He was they were pretty shocked that he wasn't originally committed to a, a SEC school to begin with. So they they'd have lost out on him anyway. Um, but yeah, the Terrence Brooks situation, this is not happening right now. If Kerry Combs is just still the defensive coordinator and we're not sitting here wondering if he's going to be back next year. By the way, I was going to jump in on the thing 45 minutes ago, Stephen, where you said like, I think it was in regards to Sonny Styles, sort of just do your thing and let him be Sonny Styles and figure it out. It's like, I actually would not recommend that for any player because that's the Craig Young plan. And the Craig Young plan is like, they don't know what to do with yeah. you. Figure out your position and play it. Cam Martinez looked like a guy and then all of a sudden wasn't a guy. And then uh, like Ryan Watts was like steel chambers got lost for three years. Like, you know what I mean? Like find your spot. Don't, don't let them move you around and say, we're going to make up some kind of role for you because the answer is probably going to be that there's actually no role. I think that you can't do that with a five star. Yeah. Well, but I think that's right. But I think what might the difference in this one compared to all those other guys is what Sonny Styles might be just as a pure athlete where, I mean, all those guys had athletic talent. They were all, you know, relatively well-regarded prospects, but you know, Craig Young's down in the, whatever he was ranked and, and Ryan Watts was ranked when he was ranked and Cam Martinez was ranked when he, and then now Sonny Styles five-star. I think the way that off defense is trending in college football, it almost makes more sense to have the Sonny Styles who you're not sure exactly what to call him, but he's going to be on the field at some place. That to me doesn't worry me as much as the other things you're talking about, Doug, where I think guys do get lost sometimes when they come here with a lot of uncertainty. And then while you're bouncing around, the guys who know what they are surpass you up. And now you're left without a spot. I agree. I I I think that happens with Sonny Styles. I agree with the notion of like, they need to pick a room and he needs to be in that room. But I do think to Nathan's point, because of what the talent is, like it's kind of like how they had Chase standing up against Wisconsin. It was like a wrinkle. There's room to do stuff like that with him later down the line as he develops. But I do agree with don't be having this kid in Larry's room and then in Al's room and then in Matt Barnes's room and all over the place. And then like every spring we're going, hey, what position are you now? Because that's happened a lot. And I would think that that doesn't like cascade and go on for years and years and years. But what does it mean in the short, like, where is he this 
fall when he gets here because you know what I mean? That's pretty early. So he'll be with this. I I suspect he'll be with the safeties with Matt Barnes when he gets here. I promised a a comprehensive look at this class. Anything else you guys want to get to for our loyal listeners? I, I would just say in the end, I'm not sure what Al Washington did super well in this class. I'm not sure what Greg Studrawa did super well in this class, and I'm not sure what Matt Barnes did super well in this class. So, <laughs> and I'm not going to pretend that I'm not, I'm not the day-to-day recruiting guy. So no. I know, I know that you help and you have areas and you help on guys out of your position group and that kind of thing. But we were waiting for Al Washington to make a splash at linebacker and his splash is the guy from Dayton and the other guy flipped and they never replaced him and they missed on some safeties and they didn't get their tackle. So not great. Steven, who do you think from this recruiting, this, this staff had the best cycle? Is it Harline um, again? Yeah. Plus even with that one, it's like, I mean, this is not his most impressive group, but that's probably a good thing because that means these guys might be a little bit more willing to sit behind, you know, Emeka, Marvin, and Julian, and Jackson next year, which is so it's fine. If like every year you didn't bring in up two five stars and two other top one. So yeah, it's fine. Um, so yeah, it's probably Heartline. If the defensive line recruiting ends the way that I think it's going to end, I think Larry Johnson takes that spot though. That makes sense. I also do think Heartline is at the point now where Heartline is taking his guys. He's not. So he, so Caleb Burton wound up the number nine receiver in the Mm -hmm. country. Caleb Brown wound up number 10. Keon Graves wound up number 15 and Kojo Iantui wound up number 23. But I'm not so sure if Brian Heartline said, let's see if I can get one, two, three, and four. No, no, no. That's to that point. Yes. Um, Ohio, yeah, he definitely could. These guys love him. Ohio, the quarterback and wide receiver recruiting are very specific. I, I think I mentioned it on the pod earlier this year about how like Ohio State is very much cut down on its numbers of offers. That really shows up at those two positions. It's why you often see those two positions kind of wrapped up early on in a cycle. They get their quarterbacks early, they get their wide receivers early because what happens is. They get him on campus for camps. Brian Hartline sees him in person. He likes what he likes. And he says, you're coming with me. And they say, okay. And the same thing happens at quarterback as long as things don't go crazy as they did this year. But more than likely, you're going to see the Kyle McCord situation time and time again. That's interesting because it's just, it's, is that the position that you would, if you could have that dynamic at any position, what would, where would right receiver rank on the list of positions you'd want that dynamic to be true? I mean, in this day and age, I think we've talked about that before. It's like, where yeah, do you want to probably. be? Quarterback, receiver, edge D-line, rusher, and, and corner. And corner, yeah. And like, and then, that's where they've been great. That's yeah. Ryan Day, Brian Hartline, Larry Johnson, and Kerry Combs. Like, that's where they've been great. Well, so but it's let's, like, okay. yes, but they've been great. Like, we're getting farther and farther away, especially from cornerback from when they've been that great, getting farther away from defensive end when they've been that great. Um, well, no, no, no. That's not true defensive. They just got yeah, JT and Jack Troy in the last class. Yeah, they're fine. And then, like, and then Kerry, like, I mean, he was fine. It's just like Gene probably shouldn't have come in here. And like, Kerry came in and they started getting top 100 guys again. They're fine there. I do think, though, if you're going to get guys early at any spot, it's probably wide receiver 
and quarterback because especially quarterback because you want to start developing that guy your way as quickly as possible but then with like wide receiver it's like I mean the quicker you get him committed the quicker they can just start only talking to Brian Hartline and they can start learning the offense so we can get more of these seasons where they average 40 plus points per game and you said that like I don't know that the Kyle McCord thing is what we are going to expect from quarterback though, because we don't have a lot of proof of that. It's, ide- it's the ideal of, thing. I know, but that the whole point is the quarterback thing has not exactly been ideal. Has it? Yeah. I mean, like Matthew Baldwin was late, but that was Ryan day's guy. That didn't work at all. Then he had to go get J- Justin. Okay. Then Emory Jones yeah. left and all that stuff. Then they get Jack Miller and then turns out Jack Miller gets hurt and whatever, but yeah. Jack Miller's not the guy. So they get CJ late. Then they have Quinn Ewers and that, doesn't but even that, that out. was like a year, that was like a year early. Like, I, okay, fine. Ideally, what you want out. is, you, yeah, I know. I'm just saying, telling him what the idea is. And no, he I has know. said this. I know what the I, ideal is. I'm telling you, right. that's not how it's gone down year after year after year. It happened with Kyle McCord. The, the idea that like they identify their quarterback really early, they get him to commit early, they develop him here and turn him into a star. Like that has not happened. So, I'm not saying that that's not a good plan, and I'm not saying it'll never happen, but that's not what it's been so far. The starting quarterback just went to the Heisman ceremony. They didn't even know who he was until the Elite 11 camp. So, you know, like, and the guy they identified super early just left without ever playing a meaningful snap. And I don't mean Quinn Ewers. I mean Jack Miller. And then they got caught up in the Quinn Ewers thing, which felt like, in hindsight, like they were never in control of that situation. That was not a targeted Hey, whatever. That was like, yeah, man, uh, Tom Herman got fired. Let's go down and do this. And now they get this and it never, you know, was a thing. And now they get Devin Brown, like late. It doesn't mean it's not going to work. I mean, his high school coach is Joe Germain. He's got Ohio's, but they didn't target Devin. They didn't get, they didn't say, Hey, Devin Brown's our guy and get him eight months ago when they maybe could have. So I'm just saying that it, it doesn't mean it won't work out. CJ worked out great, but I would like to see the end result of early target, early commit, get here, develop, be the starter. And Ryan Day has not been here that long, but that has not happened yet. All eyes on you, Jaden Davis. Which is which is fine. And I, 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 just, <laughs> I, I understand what you're saying. I, I, I get it. Yes, they, they, what they want to do versus what ends up usually happening have not been the same thing, especially with quarterback recruiting, because it's been so crazy these first three years under Day. I, and, and I, I was all I was all on Tim Beck's butt because they identified Tristan Wallace, who then decided he wanted to be a receiver at Oregon instead of a yeah. quarterback at Ohio State. They just stumble back into Dwayne Haskins. And thank goodness that Maryland wasn't any good then. And Mike Loxley wasn't there. So they were able to get Dwayne Haskins late in the process. But they have not really targeted and truly, truly. Boom, that's our guy and done it from start to finish, like since JT Barrett, which again, is not that long ago, but I'm just saying like JT Barrett was the first quarterback recruit of like the urban era. And it was like, that's our guy. And it's like, yeah, he was here for four years, started for four years. Now we can argue about whether he was the perfect college quarterback. He was who urban Tom Herman and urban Meyer wanted. And they, they had a plan, they got him and then it worked out. So, and listen, you've more and more in college football, you're falling bass backwards into stuff every day, right? Because it's nuts. It's nuts. Tim May asked Ryan Day about the tornado and Ryan Day was like, heck yeah, it's a tornado. Everything is nuts yeah. now. And it is really hard to have a plan, which means I think Nathan, you said it a while ago, you got to get lucky in some of this yeah. stuff, but plans are also really good. And so 
In the end, they're fine. They just didn't quite execute all their plans, but they're still Ohio State. So in the end, they're probably going to be okay. I think you have to have a plan. I think you have to get lucky. I don't think you can plan to get lucky. That's probably the way I'd put it. That's very well said. It's like something that coach would say. But to the point, yeah, right? That's why every time I've asked anybody has asked a question about quarterback recruiting, even when we sat in his office, it's it's year to year. It's year to year. It's year to year. Which is like coach speak, but then at the same time, it's like, yeah, it kind of is because things go crazy. Now is a great time to get the texts, everybody. If you have not signed up for the text, it's a great time for the two-week free trial. If you sign up today as you're hearing this on December 14th, that'll take you up to the start of when we'll be out. I'll be out in California doing interviews and trying to get some intel from what's going on out at the Rose Bowl. And there's going to be some, you know, the practices, the bowl practices have already started. So we'll hopefully start uh, hearing some more things about what's going on with this team as well. Not, they haven't started out in California, Stephen. They started yeah, I, here. I know, I know. I got confused for a second. I was like, oh, wait, yeah. No, they are here doing it. Sorry. Sorry. I had a mind fart real quick. My apologies. It happens. It's been a long day. So, so 614-350-3315 to sign up for those. Again, two-week free trial, three nine nine a month after that. So you can use these two weeks to decide if we gave you enough and then decide to si- if you want to sign up to get through the Rose Bowl and into the start of the real 2022 year. That's going to do it for our 2022 signing day preview for Degley Maurice and Stephen Means. I'm Nathan Baird, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.